my pleasure to have you with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of ripoffs, though, coming up in a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, there's a gotcha at the end. That's right, when you book a hotel room, there's something you got to look for now more than the price, more than the star level, more than the quality. I'm going to tell you how to make sure your wallet doesn't get shredded. And later, there's something that people in their 20s and 30s like to do that may really be a Waterloo for their wallets. I'm going to fill you in and talk to you about the right ways to handle your spending when you're in your 20s and 30s. I have a real unique pleasure right now, and that is I get to introduce you to Sabrina Malone, who is a mom who has done the impossible. Sabrina, would that be fair to say that what you've done seems to other people impossible to have done? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised at how much, uh, I don't know, attention that we're getting for this. Apparently, it is. I know that it's difficult to do, but economic necessity can be a powerful motivator. So we didn't really have a whole lot of options other well, let's than to talk succeed. About, let's talk about what the difficult corner you painted yourself into. You had a lot of children. How many? <laughs> we have six children. Six kids. And uh, yeah, that's a lot when typical family now, we're not even replacing our population in the United States. So I guess it's less than two kids per family now. And so yeah. you've got you got three times that number, and you had a high priority of wanting your kids to go to college, and and you talk about that, you write about that. You've got a website, workingmom.com, is that right? That's correct. And you were looking at a massive amount of borrowing by yourself or your kids in order to pay for college. But you clean-sheeted the thing, and I can't wait to hear how you've managed to educate your kids with no debt at all. Is that right? Well, my oldest son does have uh, the small, unsubsidized uh, $3,500 loan from his freshman year, but that's it. So what was your strategy? And your strategy, uh, not only having six kids is more unusual, but the strategy you did to tackle the expense for educating these many kids was very radical. Well, when we, first off, we only planned the first child. Everybody else was an unexpected blessing, including the one that we adopted. So okay. <laughs> that being said, we had some time to figure out as they were, you know, coming in quick succession, and they're basically stair-step children ages 20 to 9 years old, we knew that eventually they would all be going to college. And so when I was expecting number four, that was when I realized we needed to greatly reduce the cost of living. And we are born and raised New Jersey people, my husband and I. I don't know if my accent is showing up on the radio. I kind of hope it isn't. But we're Jersey. We love Jersey. 
but New Jersey was taking so much money in taxes. Our home, it was a nice house, but it was a three-bedroom home. And at the time, we were paying, and this was 12 years ago, $8,000 a year for property taxes. Um, Auto insurance is through the roof in New Jersey. And back then, it was $3,000 a year. And then we had um, daycare expenses and things like that. But when we looked at the tax burden of New Jersey, we realized with even with private schools or anything like that, we were going to spend so much money before we even got to spend money. So we looked around and I filled in one of those little online calculators and it said we should consider looking south. And so we moved to Delaware, didn't know a soul in the entire state, but we did know that property taxes were going to be less than $1,000 on our house. And also, and so, you can reach your left arm out and your right arm, and you reach from one end of Delaware to the other. <laughs> Only in the narrow part of the state, the yeah. eight miles, but yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, we moved to Delaware in a five-bedroom house, um, and it's nice, and it's uh, literally a fraction of what we were paying up uh, in New Jersey. And then furthermore, um, what else was surprising is that Delaware takes a lot less out of your paycheck. So when we moved here, it, you know, it's anecdotal, but the state you live in really does make a difference to how much money you have left at the end of the month. And when we moved here, we got a small refund, about $130 on our taxes from Delaware. But the two months that he, my husband had worked in New Jersey, we owed almost that same amount. So it was like getting a little $40 per paycheck raise, but we weren't expecting that, and it was nice to have. So being in Delaware, there's also no um, sales tax on anything you purchase either. So that's another bonus, just being able to And by to the way, you don't work money. for the Chamber of Commerce for the state no, of Delaware. I'm never, I'm never running for office. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't own a stake in anything. I'm just, I'm just a mom of six that has to make each dollar stretch about sixfold. <laughs> so simply by lowering your cost of taxes and cost of living, you started making things more possible when the numbers were impossible. Yes, yes. You, you've got to do something kind of different if you're going to make it work. And the one thing, I'm kind of um, neurotic about things. I don't like to be out of money or poor or struggling or worried. I would rather make big changes than worry that my debit card is going to be denied. So that that's just me. So we moved and we've been better off since then. But as far as affording the big giant expense that looms, which would be college, that one, you know, people assume it may have been a conversation where we talked about our finances and how much we could afford and budgeting with the kids. But that's not how it went at all. Ever since they were old enough to know anything about education, so we're talking preschool, they've all been raised to do well academically. Um, we don't have cable TV. They read. Um, they play outside. You know, they do other things that engage their minds. But academic excellence has been just a reality of being in this family because if your grades are high enough and your SAT scores are high enough, somebody will make it so that you can go to their college for almost free. Now, you may not get to pick, you know, exactly which college is going to have the best, um, you know, reputation, but you have more choices when you are, when your academics are strong. And so that's how they were raised. 
So by creating this culture of excellence, you were able to create mobility for your kids where college was not going to be a massive financial burden. It couldn't be a massive financial burden. My husband's 54, I'm 50, and we have a nine-year-old. There, we would be working until we were 90 years old if we even decided to try to go into debt or to try to finance their college. We have um, two middle children who are both 16 years old, and they, they actually got through a grade early. So they're seniors in high school, and they'll graduate high school at 16, which means we're going to have four in college in 2019. By September of 2019, there's four kids in school. That's just the way that it is. Wow. That could be as much as $200,000 per year required in after-tax money. I work hard. My husband works hard. But we don't have that kind of money. We don't even plan to make that kind of money. So knowing that that was going to be our reality, we had to steer our children towards schools that would provide the best you know, the best financial aid package. And they all get that. They all understand because you started so young because, you know, you have pointed out something uh, in addition to the culture in your family for striving in academic excellence. Most families don't talk about the finance, the, the cost of college with kids till they seem to be juniors in high school. And yeah. the conversation <laughs> has to happen much younger than that. Yes, it would probably be shocking for a kid to discover that there were going to be suddenly expectations on them to, you know, that they weren't really prepared for. But I don't want to create a false sense of how great you have to do academically in order to afford college. Um, do you mind if I give you a quick example of my oldest son, the Please. one who's a junior at Delaware State? He um, graduated high school in 2016 with a 3.25 grade point average and an 1170 on the SAT. Oh, that's These what are... I got. I had <laughs> okay. an 1170. Oh, all right. Well, then you have something in common yeah. with my son. And so these are pretty solid stats, but they're not what you would consider excellent. However, in we're in the state of Delaware, as I mentioned, and there are two scholarships that uh, kids around here can qualify for, and he made those by the skin of his teeth. One of them covers about half of the cost of in-state tuition at Delaware State, and then the other is a grant that they get if you combine your SAT scores and your GPA, and that's for the, the balance, and it's a four-year renewable scholarship. So long as you stay, I think the benchmark is about a 3.0, do 10 uh, 10 hours of community service each semester and don't get convicted of a felony, you get to keep those scholarships and you can go, at least the tuition is covered. And this is, this is a small state, so I can't imagine what some of the bigger states have for their, you know, their high school graduates. And so I think it's worth looking at lower in-state tuition and whether or not your state has any kind of scholarships or grants that are aimed at keeping their talented students in state. Um, I love this. Let me tell you why I love everything you've said here. Okay. Because first thing, when you talked about moving, Americans used to move regularly for job opportunity, lower costs, whatever. People would move. People really don't move like they used to. I've talked about how there's been this migration of 
people in the technology field to the Kansas City metro area because they could never afford a home in Silicon Valley and their paychecks go so much further there. I've talked about people from the banking industry who've migrated from the New York metro area to Jacksonville, Florida, which has become a big banking center, and they can make 30% less in their paycheck and still live a whole lot better. You are another example from a completely different perspective of why you moved. And also with the kids, with the idea of saying, you can't have your dream school and that's all you're going to go to. You first have to make sure you can afford it. And I love that because too many parents get this guilt trip where they think, oh, well, my son or daughter wants to go to blah, blah, blah. What do you say to those parents? Well, I'm right in the same boat as you are. And, you know, as much as we've done right, I I would assume it's right just because we're not having to pay a whole lot to keep our kids in school. We have one with a full ride and then another at an Ivy that meets full need. But our two middle kids, one of them really has her sights set on schools that actually will cost more than the state school that she has the chops to get in similar to her brother. And so we're going through it right now where there's a risk that if the numbers don't come out from the schools that she is applying to in such a way that she can do it without, um, you know, debt and then without trying to hamstring us, she may end up having to go to a school she'd prefer not to. And it's hard to break their hearts a little. I mean, this is a kid who has tried very hard, who's done well. And in theory, if we really, really struggled, we could make it happen. But I don't want to really, really struggle right now because what's going to happen when we're 70? Every dollar that we put towards the kids' education is a dollar we can't put towards our retirement. And this isn't just about us being selfish. It's about the children, because if my husband and I are not financially stable when we're unable to work, that the burden of our care will fall to them. I love, so, I love this. I love this so much. People can hear more of your wisdom at WorkingMom.com. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us on The Clark Howard Show. And parents, you got to let go of that guilt trip. There's something that really gets under my skin, and that is gotchas after the fact. You buy something, and then later they say, oh, that's not all. You're going to owe this extra amount, too. It's what today's Clark Rageous Moment is all about. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous Moment. I have the privilege in my life of traveling about 30 weeks a year i'm somewhere usually for work but also from time to time for fun and so i get a lot of experience in where you can get burned by the travel industry particularly if you don't travel a lot and it's a school of hard knocks i want you to learn in my school and something that started originally at beach communities mountain communities resorts are these junk fees added on to a hotel stay after you've already paid, in many cases, non-refundable for your stay. And it's called a resort fee or amenities fee or something like that. And these fees are climbing higher and higher, and they're covering less and less. But now, in the ultimate Clark Rage, these things are coming 
to downtowns and congested areas of cities to places that are not resorts at all. And what a con job. Because let's say a place charges for parking. Does the resort fee or amenities fee cover that? No, not normally. What does it pay for? Oh, maybe the gym or pool that may or may not be open. The whole reason all this is happening is because of you and me comparison shopping on the web and looking at the price of a place per night. But you can't just do that. You've got to go beyond and see if there are any other junk fees. Hotels want to appear as if they've got a better price than they actually do. And that's why after you book, that's when you get clobbered, by blindsided by that junk fee. Know to look before you book so that you don't regret it later. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. We got to have a talk because we are in the midst of the payment generation. It is the hot thing now, and a lot of people have come to age thinking this is the only way to do something, where you pay monthly fees for things instead of owning anything. This is especially true of people who were young when the Great Recession happened and the financial banking scandals last decade and saw so much suffering in their families and so many people, um, families lost their homes, cars were repossessed, all that. And so it created in a lot of people's minds, especially people in their 20s, that owning things is a negative, not a positive. And I want you to know that this is a pendulum that may have swung too far. An example, every automaker out there either has launched or is testing or planning to launch programs where you never own a vehicle. You just pay a monthly fee. And that monthly fee entitles you to drive wheels. And the wheels might change. There are programs at the luxury end of the market where people pay big money and they can change so many times every 90 days usually what vehicle they're driving. But now this has moved from the luxury end of the market to more and more the regular car market where you have no obligation other than to pay whatever the then current monthly fee is for a set of wheels. And it seems so easy because these programs usually come with auto insurance already included and you just drive till you don't want to anymore. That's true. You don't have to own the vehicle. You don't own any vehicle. And you can quit whenever you want. But the problem is you're always paying a monthly fee. You're always paying. And that is... So much of how the app-based economy works is that you sign up for things that are monthly fees, whether it's gift baskets or it's Netflix subscriptions, whatever it is, everything in your life is some form of rental charge. Now, if you really are in a situation owning a home is not your thing, you're not quite sure where you're going to live, what city you're going to be in, 
whether you're going to even need a vehicle. There are circumstances where you need to be more a free agent. And that's fine. But most people at some point want to do, quote unquote, settling down. If you are someone who's living your life as a free agent, then at least as part of that, have money you're building up for the point at which you don't want to be a free agent anymore. When you want to put down roots, when you do want to maybe own your own place and not ever owning a vehicle is fine if you live in a congested urban area and in one of the very small handful of communities that have real public transit available. But everywhere else, if you're going to be in an auto-dependent culture and you got to have wheels, you want to own those wheels and preferably used wheels because they cost a whole lot less. You want to drive a vehicle that you're not having to pay anybody for once you finish paying off potentially a loan. And then you keep driving with all you're having to do is gas, maintenance, and insurance. So think about all the things you pay for every month that are just automatically being billed to you, subscription-based things. And which ones really don't have a useful role in your life? And those that don't, stop doing it. Stop paying them. Matt's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Matt. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, Matt. You got a question for me about your home. Yes, I do. Um, well, first, let me say I, I can't thank you and your team enough for what you do. You really change the lives of your listeners. It's well, great you, what you guys do. You were really kind to say that, and I'm glad also you recognize that this is all a team effort, and we do it every possible way, whatever way people want information and empowerment from us whether it's off-air advice on-air advice like you're doing uh, one of our websites newsletters social media the idea is to provide the empowerment with knowledge and information however works best for you well thanks well i received a letter from my bank saying that my mortgage principal balance has reached uh, 65 percent of the original amount so they're giving me the option to uh, terminate my escrow and pay the property taxes myself. Um, you know, I've been a listener for two years to your program, to your podcast, and uh, I haven't heard this topic discussed that I can remember. So, you know, my thought was, um, you know, it just makes sense for me to, you know, be my own, own escrow and potentially put that in an online savings and make money off of that. But I wanted to hear what your take on that and if there's any other angles that I should think about. Are they charging you any fee that you have to pay, or is there a buyout? Do you have to pay them like $500 up front or something like that in return for no longer being escrowed? That, nothing of that sort was listed in the letter that they sent me. The letter was very short and to the point, and uh, just asked if I, yes, no, want in or out. If you want, if you are given the option and there's no exit fee you have to pay, and this is an unusual offer you're getting, grab that offer, and as long as you're good with budgeting, pay your own insurance premium, pay your own property taxes on your own. Because okay, great. Thank you're, you. you're making an interest-free loan to the bank when you escrow with them, 
and you're relying on them to pay as they should to the right taxing authority, the right insurer, pay those things on time. And it's much better if you are somebody who's really conscientious about your finances to do that stuff yourself. Yeah, I have a hard time trusting people sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you trust yourself, though. Yes. Yeah, so the the funny thing is that I, I have never had a call from somebody with an offer like you've gotten from your lender, ever. Because lenders make a, a decent, the, the servicers for your mortgages, they make significant profit off of over-escrowing you and not paying you anything on the money in escrow and paying out that money where you're essentially making loans to your lender and I've never heard of one of their own volition say, hey, it's okay with us, Matt. You just go and do this. But if they're saying that, <laughs> take them up on it. What a deal. Joe joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Joe. Hey, how are you? Great. Thank you, Joe. Hey, I tell you what, I'd like to uh, echo what Matt said about you and your staff. I think you're great. been listening for a long time and have written in a few times and gotten good sound advice and I do appreciate it. Well, thank you for that. So also, you've got thank a you question. For your service. Sure. Yeah, I'm 30 year retiree from the army. Well, thank you for that. What was your favorite duty station over those 30 years? You know, I really loved being right in North Carolina at Fort Bragg. It I mean, it sounds odd, but my wife and I, we both liked it, and uh, you know, it was one of the nicest places to be. All right, and let's offend, let's offend whoever we can. What was your least favorite duty station through a 30-year service to our nation? Who? Fort Polk, Louisiana. Yeah, I, it was different kind of hot there, and... Just a little different for us, you know. Mom was from Texas, and I was from Michigan, and it was just really different. <laughs> well, how about that? Well, how can I be of service to you today? Because you have a military-related question about USAA for me. Yeah, it brings me, to, you know, to this is that being retired, and you know, I have one child left at home and we're getting her through college right now. Um, but I've got some time to, and money to invest, you know, not, not, not a lot. And I haven't invested it, it before in my life. I'm brand new, whether my age is up there or not, I'm brand new with the investing point, <clears throat> but you know, I see and hear all the things that you guys say, you particularly on on your show and online, where to invest, who to invest, and this and that. But, you know, there's one company that you talk about a lot, and you like them a lot, and they deal with military a lot, but you never recommended them for any investing. So the reason the reason about? I don't talk about USAA as one of the ones that's uh, what I call my favorite children for investing is although USAA is a great organization, their expenses on their mutual funds 
are they're not terrible but they're higher than they are with the low-cost companies that I tend to recommend and USAA will often be higher because military personnel as you know are grossly underpaid and they have they tend to have less money they can put aside in funds and it costs a fund company more money to manage smaller accounts I could see that. So USAA is an excellent company, and if they get you started with putting money aside and investing uh, for a specific, I love people looking who are starting out going into a target fund where you pick a time off in the future that the money will be for. They have very simple choices for that, and again, not the lowest cost, but reasonable cost. So it's it's absolutely fine if that's where you're comfortable. You have your auto insurance, your homeowner's insurance. Uh, you right. may have USAA Bank. You want to use yeah, them yeah. for the investing? Go for it. Cool. Okay. And at least a place to start. Yeah. And USAA does – the thing about USAA that's so great is everything about their culture is about serving the member. You don't ever have to worry that they're going to take advantage of you or anything like that. Yeah, they've been very good, and I've been with them for my 18 years. So so I would feel comfortable using them. I'd feel happy doing that. And they are as uh, good as it gets as a, a supermarket kind of organization that does banking, insurance, investments. They are an organization to its core devoted to serving military personnel and their families, and they've done a great job at that forever. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Janice joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Janice. Hi, how are you? Great. Thank you, Janice. I understand you have hit a hiccup with something that I talked about on the show. What is that? I have, yes. You recently recommended um, a pedal credit card for people with no credit, such as my children. And I've been having the hardest time um, trying to set them up with a credit card so that they can build up their credit. So I went in and I helped them apply. However, they requested my bank sign-on along with my password. I didn't feel comfortable with that what do you think about that so as weird as it is to say this i actually think that it is uh, a reasonable thing to do 
with pedal. So here's the deal with pedal card. Now I should give a little review for others. So the pedal card is for people who have never been able to establish credit or it's been a long time or they're what's called thin file. They've got very little established. And pedal using different technology and different ways of evaluating someone will grant people relatively small limit uh, visa cards even if you don't have a traditional credit score and extensive credit file. So they do it based on modeling how you've handled various expenses over time. But I'm really curious about something. How old are your kids? Uh, 21 and 23. All right. So it should be their checking accounts, not yours. Yes. Yeah, definitely theirs. Um, One is in college, so I kind of run his banking anyway at this point. Um, Let's talk talk about the college kid. So you said 21, right? Yes. So at 21... A full-time college student can apply uh, and won't need the pedal card necessarily because a full-time college student can apply for one of the uh, college student credit card programs that most major issuers and many credit unions have where they set aside the normal income requirements and other procedures and rules that you'd have to follow as someone outside of school would have to because college students tend to be an extremely profitable credit card market and banks know if and credit unions know that if they get a card in someone's hands while they're in college that they may keep that card forever my wife still has a credit card that she's had uh, since she was a late teen in college when they used to issue cards the second people enrolled in college now most often at age 21 yeah, I think my husband has his as well from college. So, so I would I like could, for the 23, you said 23-year-old, the one out of school, yeah. to mm-hmm. go through the pedal process, give them the information required to link accounts, and know that this is a legitimate effort. And pedal, the backers of pedal don't know that they will be successful with this, that they won't lose money doing this, taking chances on people with credit cards that others haven't been willing to do. But if your 23-year-old's approved, it will make it possible for your child to establish a good credit record with a credit card, bam, just like that. Your 21-year-old, though, uh, Discover has a big student card program. American Express does. I mean, it's much easier for someone full-time enrolled in college to get this going. Okay, wonderful. And would you recommend changing all your passwords then once they... No, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about that. I mean, the data breaches come from everywhere. So I'm not really worried about uh, criminals, specifically hackers, targeting pedal and getting in there. We're exposed every possible way. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.